I find it intriguing sometimes to dig into the history of our liturgical practices or our liturgical language. Sometimes it's, it's interesting where certain things or certain phrases started. We borrowed the word Advent from the pagan world of deities and emperors, a world of victories over adversity, a world of hope in a better future for those who were the citizens of the emperor or the devotees of the deities. And so the word Adventus was an annual celebration. It was an anniversary of the emperor's return from a victorious war sometime in the past or in the immediate past to celebrate what had happened so that all of those who surrounded the emperor might be able to look forward to what was to come in the future with great hope and with great courage and great joy. It was not then a large leap, as it were, for the Jewish and the Christian traditions to take on this political culture and in turn to adapt it to their own religious practices and purpose. And so the people of God in the first covenant of salvation history waited for the coming of God in glory and adventus of salvation and prosperity. And the Christians built on that theology and applied it to the arrival the adventus of the Son of Man, the one who would arrive in the temple of his flesh and who would remake the whole world into a new heaven and a new earth. And if there was one sort of critical characteristic that both religious traditions borrowed from those pagan roots of adventus, it was the posture of hope to await the emperor, to await the Messiah, was a profound act of hope, one that our Jewish sisters and brothers live with and live for to this day. And that same posture of hope permeates the Christian season of Advent like yeast in the dough, like salt in the stew, like light in the darkened house. It is a hope that springs forth anew year after year for the Christian pilgrim. I'm willing to bet that you or someone you know has said every year for as long as you can remember, when Advent arrives, saying, if there ever was a year that we needed to be embraced by hope, it was this year. And it might have been because of some personal 
difficulty. It might have been some sort of communal uh, event. It might have been of some global uh, occurrence. He said, we need a few days. We need a few weeks. We need a season of hope. I know I've said it in lots of conversations and in homilies for many advents. And we have reason to say it again this year. We need a time of hope. The violence in our streets this past year, the civil unrest that was sparked by acts of racism, the rancor that has crept into our ordinary discourse, the meanness that has marked our treatment of refugees, especially children, and the devastation families have suffered from floods and fires. These events have taxed our hope. Add in a political climate which, in my opinion, is about as devoid of anything resembling a positive or hopeful approach to civil discourse or national pride. And we have reason to need hope. So what do we think? Where do we turn? For us, first and always, we turn to the story of salvation history. We call on God to reach down, or to reach out, or to reach into our lives. And we cry with the great prophet Isaiah, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. Perhaps preempting God's thinking, Don't make me come down there. But we cry out to God to rend the heavens and to come down. And if, and if God rends the heavens to come to us, does that not say that the heavens are now open for us to go to God, to go up to God, to go into God? Why? Because no ear has heard and no eye has seen any God but our God doing such deeds for those who wait. Therein lies the source of our hope. But this hope, this hope is not born in a vacuum. This hope survives and returns because of visible signs in the world today a world that we believe has already been redeemed by the God of salvation. And so our gathering here and our gathering and participating with all of those by virtue of live streaming, it's because we are connected, because we are in communion, because our amazing network of relationships includes all of those who are hurting or celebrating, or doing both. It includes those who are dying and those who are expecting new life, those who are simply embracing life 
as it happens and making it work. There are those, of course, who have been untiring in their efforts to care for the others who have been affected by the pandemic. And we hear them say, it's not just a job. It is our deepest hope that we can make a difference. And they do, because they choose to hope. And there are neighborhoods all over the world, because this is a global pandemic. Neighborhoods where people with a little imagination have brought to light and brought light and humanness to an otherwise lonely household. There are gestures of remarkable compassion, many of them initiated by children or by young people or by those who are in fact suffering. And they have brought some joy where there seemed only anxiety. Those are the people and the places where Christ is being born and where gratitude is found. Those are the moments where waiting is rewarded because hope is always transformative. Hope doesn't mean that we ignore realities or deny them, nor does it keep us from lamenting the effect on us of these challenges, but it does mean that we live with a different spirit and we live with a greater purpose. And so, my friends, this Advent, choose hope.